Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, back to the book of Jude. If you closed your Bibles from when we read that earlier, we're going to be there in the book of Jude. I'll give you just a couple seconds to turn there. And let's go ahead and just open with a word of prayer um, now, and then we'll get into the text here in Jude. Uh, We're going to look at the last two verses this morning, so let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the reminders we've had this morning through the music um, of how by your power, Lord, we will stand redeemed in your presence, how by your grace, Lord, we will get to spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray that now as we look into your word at some of these very same truths, that our hearts would be encouraged, would be strengthened, that we would have a renewed confidence in your grace and in your power um, to do that, to redeem us, to bring us into your presence someday. So Lord, I pray that now as as I preach, Lord, I pray that, um, that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of my heart, would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, I pray that your spirit would have the freedom uh, to lead us all into your truth, uh, that we would leave the service this morning uh, with a renewed passion to follow after you uh, because of that confidence in your uh, control and in your grace. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you are big into making New Year's resolutions? Anybody at all? Wow, I don't see a lot of hands. Not a lot of people are actually big into making New Year's resolutions. Well, okay, then how many of you aren't really into making New Year's resolutions? You don't normally do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm in that camp. I really don't make New Year's resolutions uh, that often. I, I can't remember if it was a New Year's resolution or if it was like a beginning of the school or like halfway through the year resolution. But I remember making one at some point in high school and actually sticking with it. Uh, but... As I was studying for the message, I was just curious, and so I looked up some statistics about uh, New Year's resolutions. And, of course, you know, with every statistic you look at, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, But if a recent statistic proves true, those of us who do make New Year's resolutions, out of all of us who do, only 9% of us will actually succeed in keeping those resolutions. Only 9% of us are actually going to see uh, the change that we desired all the way into the next year. Now, the statistic also said that about a quarter of us who make New Year's resolutions, one-fourth, 25% of us, are going to fail before the end of this week. By the time we all come back next Sunday morning, for the, the two or three of you who actually made resolutions, the chances are one of you has probably already failed to keep that resolution. And then by halfway through the year, over half of us then will have failed to keep our resolutions. And then the last remaining percent will keep it for the rest of this year, but by next year, we'll fall back into our old habits and won't see that long-term change. Now, now why am I bringing this up? Am I saying that New Year's resolutions are worthless no, that's not, that's not the point. But the point I'm trying to make us all aware of is that we all know, despite our best intentions, we are all prone 
to fail. We all have a natural tendency to fall short of our good intentions. But as followers of Jesus, we know that this tendency to fall short of our good intentions goes much deeper, much deeper than just resolutions to eat healthy. In fact, when I was looking up the the statistic, I think the top four or five all had to do with health and exercise and working out. But we know that this tendency to fall short goes much deeper than just those resolutions to eat healthy and to lose weight. We know that this tendency to fall short goes all the way down into our hearts, so we all have the tendency to fall short of the glory of God. We all have that natural propensity to sin. I think we all would agree that we've experienced the same thing that the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7. When he said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, the desire to do good is present with me. But how to actually perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. So the truth of the matter is, at some point this year, you and I are going to fail. In some way, shape, or form, you and I are going to sin. We're going to sin against God at some point this year. We're going to sin against our spouses, against our children, our parents, against our neighbors. To one degree or another, you and I are going to do the very things that we don't want to do. So how do we respond when we do fail? How do we respond when we do fall short? Well, in this really brief letter that Jude writes to these believers, he addresses this issue of failure. On the one hand, there were a group of false teachers um, sneaking into the church, corrupting the churches, even leading some falsely professing Christians to completely abandon Christ. Jude said, we won't go back and read it, but Jude says in this letter that these false teachers were denying Christ. They were perverting God's grace to give them excuses to sin. They were rebelling against God's authority. He says they are completely devoid of any reverence or fear of God. And they were gaining influence among these churches. But on the other hand, there was another group of people that Jude wanted to address. These were the genuine believers that he was concerned about. So after he issues these strong warnings of judgment throughout his letter, after he he gives those warnings of God's judgment to the false teachers, he now begins to address the believers in verse 17, which is what we read earlier. But I want you to go back and notice in the middle of that, in verses 20 and 21, look at what he says, or what he tells these believers to do. He says, but ye beloved, building up yourselves On your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He tells them, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, he's not saying keep yourselves deserving of God's love. I mean, did you notice how he addressed them at the beginning? He says, beloved. Those of you who are already loved by God, you don't have to make yourselves lovable by God. 
You already love. So that's not what he means when he says keep yourselves in the love of God. So what's he saying? Well, what he's telling them to do is to persevere in this love. Persevere in God's love that he's already given to you. And then he tells them a couple of practical ways to do that. He says build yourselves up in the faith. It reminds me of what uh, Peter says in his letter. He says add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And he goes on and on. Then he tells them to pray in the Holy Spirit. And he tells them to, to set their focus on the return of Christ. So to live in light of eternity. All this to say, Jude was letting them know, you guys have a responsibility to keep yourselves in God's love. You guys have the responsibility to see to it that you pursue growing in your faith by keeping yourselves in God's love. He's saying you guys are responsible to progressively grow and become more and more like Christ. So he's trying to remind them, don't give up. Don't give up pursuing Christ. But, again, what about when you do fail? What about those moments where you do trip up? Where you do fail in those resolutions that you made to see that change this year? Well, perhaps Jude knew that his readers, surrounded by so much apostasy, so much sin in their midst, would be discouraged. He perhaps knew that they would be anxious in the moments that they would fail, maybe even wondering and questioning, am I no different than these false professors? Am I no different than these false teachers? How can I know that I am going to make it without falling back into bondage to sin? How do I know that I will not fail? Well, at those moments, how are they going to have the confidence to get back up to keep going, to keep on pursuing Christ-likeness, to keep themselves in the love of God. How are they going to be like that man in Psalm 37, where it says, though he falls, or he, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. How could they have the confidence to get back up and not be utterly cast down? Well, Jude knew that they needed to be reminded of this glorious truth. In verse 24, You can almost hear, after he issues all of these warnings, these exhortations to the believers to keep pressing on, you can almost hear a sigh where he's just like, okay, verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. What Jude was reminding his readers and what he's reminding us is that when you cannot keep yourself, God is able to keep you. When you do fail, you won't be utterly cast down. Why? How does the rest of that verse end in Psalm 37? Anybody know? You will not be utterly cast down for... The Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The Lord upholds you with his hand. It's not up to you. God has the power to keep you. So even though we know we're not going to reach perfection now, we're going to fail, we can't give up. And we shouldn't give up striving after becoming like Christ this year. Why? Because as certain as God is powerful, he will keep you from falling away. 
God is able to keep you when you cannot keep yourself. So while we're still fresh into 2023, the first day of the year, uh, we haven't had much time yet to fail. Uh, My desire this morning is to simply help us uh, set our hope on just two unchanging truths so that when we do fail this year, we won't give up, but we will keep pursuing growing in Christ. So if or when you fail, do not forget, number one, that God is able to keep you from falling. Now, when Jude says here that God is able, he's not merely saying God can keep you, but he might not. It's not like he's saying God is capable of keeping you from falling, but I don't know, you might not. He might not keep you from falling. What he's saying is I'm confident, I know for a fact that God will keep you because he is powerful to do so. Uh, It reminds me of back in high school. If you guys maybe think back to when you were in high school in your physics class, there's two kinds of energy that your physics teacher would talk about. There's potential energy and there's, anybody know? Any, not physicians, physics people in here? Potential energy and kinetic energy. Now, potential energy sounds exactly what it's saying. It has the potential to move. It's describing an object's uh, potential to act, potential to be in motion, even though at that moment it's not. But then kinetic energy, on the other hand, is the object actually in motion, actually using that energy. It's the object acting. Well, when he describes God's power, God's ability, it's more like that kinetic energy power. It is the power to the power of moving. In fact, in Romans chapter 14, uh, Paul shows that this power of God is not just potential. It's a power that he is using. Uh, Paul in Romans 14 verse 4, he says this about every believer. He says to his own master, he standeth or falleth. And then notice this, yea, he shall be holden up for God is able to make him Stand. Same word. Because God is powerful enough to make you stand, you will be held up. You will not fall. So you see that confidence that Paul is showing here? He says, because God is able, the believer will be held up. He will be kept from falling. So this is a promise. It's a certainty that belongs to every single one of us who have put our faith in Christ. In fact, earlier on in his letter here, Jude, the very first verse, when he's addressing these believers, uh, notice what he calls them in verse 1. He says, them that are, are sanctified by God. You're already set apart by God, the Father. And he says, and preserved. Those who are preserved, who are kept by or in Jesus Christ. And then Peter, in, in one of his letters, in First Peter, he reminds his readers that God has reserved an inheritance for them in heaven, First uh, Peter 1 verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then in John 17, uh, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, and what's known as his high priestly prayer, listen to what Jesus prays. In John 17, verse 11, he says, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, 
that they may be one as we are. And then a little bit further down in verse 24, Jesus says, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. I desire, I have decided that those who you've given to me will be with me where I am. So all this to say, at some point in 2023, you and I are going to fail. There may be times where our spiritual growth may feel like, you know, the one step forward and two steps back. And we feel like we're not making the progress that we desire to make. We're not making the changes that we set out to make at the beginning of the year. But if that's you, if you are in that moment and you feel like you're going to fail, don't give up. Because even if you do fail today or tomorrow or any other point this year, always remember that God is able to keep you. You, Your failure is never final. So God is able and he will keep you from falling. But the promise doesn't end there. As if that itself wasn't enough to settle our doubts, Jude makes it absolutely clear that not only does God keep us from falling... But number two, God is able to make you stand blameless. So yes, God is able to keep you from falling, but not only that, God is able to do the complete opposite and to make you stand blameless. Now that that word there, present, when he says to present you faultless there in verse 24, uh, that word present literally means to cause to stand. So it's the complete opposite. fall. So not only do you fall, God causes you to stand up. But these words falling and standing, they're, they're metaphors, right? They're word pictures. But Jude makes it clear afterwards, he adds this word to it to explain exactly what he means by not falling or by standing when he says he will present you faultless. He will cause you to stand blameless. So he's saying he will keep you from falling once again into bondage to sin. And instead, he will cause you to stand blameless. To stand as people who are absolutely without fault. Now you've probably heard uh, the word blameless uh, defined somewhere along the lines of somebody who has such a good reputation that any accusations against them don't stick. Any of you ever heard that definition before? Blameless means that the accusations don't stick. And Paul uses the word for not, accusations not sticking when he's talking about the qualifications of a pastor, that a pastor must be blameless. But the word blameless here in Jude is a completely different word. Uh, this word blameless literally means somebody who actually is without blemish. Not just somebody who has such a reputation that accusations don't stick, but somebody who is perfect who has absolutely no faults in them. In 1 Peter chapter 1, this very same word is used when Peter's talking about Jesus' sacrifice for us. He says that his blood was as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, a lamb that is blameless, has no faults whatsoever. And then in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that it's because of this sacrifice without blemish. It's because of Christ's perfect sacrifice that he has now reconciled us, Colossians 1 verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. 
the same word, without fault in his sight. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, that passage where Paul is comparing Christ's love for the church for a husband's love for his wife, he says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy, and then here's the word again, without blemish. So Christ, all, all these verses are saying Christ has guaranteed that one day you and I will all be made blameless, completely perfect in his sight. Not because of what we've done, not because of what we are doing, not because of what we're going to do in 2023, with absolutely no regard to how many times you fail this year, if you are in Christ, and if his spirit is in you, then you will be made blameless. Got an illustration, it's not a very good one, but I want you to imagine that you are in a major battle. You'll see why I say it's not a very good one, because it doesn't really make sense. Let's say that you are in some major battle where your side appears to be losing. It looks like you're all going to die. Your side's going to lose the battle and potentially lose the war. But let's say that somehow somebody who infallibly knew the future came to you and they told you that you are going to survive the fight. And not only that, but they told you that your side was going to win the war completely. That's why I say it's not a very good illustration, because if that were true, we probably wouldn't believe them, right? But let's just say you, you had reason to believe that what this person was saying was absolutely true. So they told you, you're going to survive, you're going to win the war. Even though the battle right now looks like you're losing, you do not have to worry, you do not have to give up. Now let's say, after they told you this, you actually ended up getting shot or maybe severely wounded in that fight. If that happened to you, you'd probably be tempted to think, okay, is this really true? Can I really trust what this guy has to say? You'd probably be tempted to doubt what he just told you. But then let's say he's right there with you, and he once again reminds you. He says, you are not going to fail. You're going to survive. You're going to win the war. So do not give up. Well, that's kind of like what Jude is saying here. He's telling these believers and he's telling us, you might fail. I'm not saying you're not going to get hurt. I'm not saying you're not going to, to mess up or trip up or sin. You and I may fail. We may even find ourselves surrounded by a bunch of false teachers, by false professors, by people departing from the faith and denying Christ all around us. But we who have trusted in Christ have every reason to get back up, and to keep on going. We have every reason to not give up. Why? Because our future is absolutely sure. Our future is guaranteed. Our future is settled. But as if that wasn't enough for these people to hear, Jude explains to them that the place where you and I are going to be standing blameless The place where we're going to be perfect is in the very presence of God's glory. The very thing that Romans chapter 3 tells us we fall so short of now 
that, that infinite perfection of God, that's the standard by which we're judged, the standard that proves to us that we deserve condemnation, that glory, one day you and I will get to see blameless. We will get to be in the presence of God's glory with no fear of condemnation. In fact, he says here, we will get to see it with exceeding joy. No judgment, no fear of condemnation, only exceeding joy. Why? Because of how our year went this year? No. Because God is able to make you stand blameless. God is able to keep you, even when you can't keep yourself. Now, if you've ever seen my family after church, uh, chances are you've watched us as we've had to chase Audrey around the auditorium, trying to round her up uh, to take her on home after the service. And when it's time to head home, many times, Allie and I uh, will grab Audrey's hand and start to lead her out to the car. Now, when I grab a hold of Audrey's hand, I don't just passively you know, stick my hand out and expect her uh, to grip my hand and make it all the way to the car. Instead, what I do is I grip my hand around hers and I hold on tightly because I know it's inevitable. At some point between here and the car, she's going to trip. In fact, you've probably seen her, seen us in the uh, lobby sometimes. She likes to just go limp and just make us carry her around. I know it's inevitable. At some point, she's going to trip. She's going to go limp. And so I hold onto her hand tightly so that even when she does trip, she never actually completely falls. Because every time she misses a step, every time she loses her footing or intentionally picks up her feet, my hand is still gripped tightly around hers, holding her up, keeping her from falling. So she never has to worry. She doesn't have to worry about falling down flat. And she never has to worry about whether or not she's going to make it to the car and make it home. It doesn't depend on her ability to walk, on her ability to keep herself up. Because I, as her father, make sure that she gets there. Because I am able to keep her from falling. And I am able to bring her all the way home safe and secure, even when she can't keep herself. Well, in a much greater way than that, Judah's telling us that God is able to keep us when we cannot keep ourselves. So if you are a New Year's resolution person, go ahead and write those resolutions. Go ahead and make those plans to build up your faith, to strengthen your faith. Uh, Make those plans to see those changes in your life this year. Strive after holiness. Strive after Christ-likeness. And when you fail... Because it's inevitable, all of us will. In those moments, do not give up. Remember that failure is never final, not because of our own ability, but because God is able to keep you from falling. God is able to present you faultless in the very presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now this passage here is written in what's called a doxology. So Jude writes this really as a prayer to remind the believers of where their confidence is settled in. 
And it's intended to be a prayer for them to turn to God and worship for who he is, for his power to keep them. And so notice as we close how Jude closes out this letter. Verse 25, he says, to this God, to the only God with the power to do this, the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. So to the God who's able to keep us when we fail, when we trip, when we mess up this year, to the God who we have the confidence is able and powerful to keep us from falling, to him be glory, to him be dominion and majesty and power. Lord, I thank you for giving us a reason to have confidence, uh, like we sang this morning, in you, our firm foundation, you, the God who, when we think we're going to fall, we can trust in your omnipotent hand to hold us up. Lord, I pray that as we go through this new year, through 2023, uh, many of us, no doubt, wanting to, to see growth. We want to see change. We want to see ourselves become more like your son. I pray that in those moments, though, when we do fail, that we would not be discouraged, that we would not stay down, but that we would get back up and pursue you with the confidence, the certainty, the joyful certainty that you, our all-powerful God, is able to keep us from falling away. You are able to present us blameless. So help us with that confidence in mind to once again get up like that good man in Psalm 37 and continue pursuing you because of your grace and your goodness and your power for us. Now with heads bowed and eyes still closed this morning, I want to give you just a few minutes to respond to uh, God's word this morning. And like I said, this passage is written as a doxology. It's a prayer. It's a prayer of worship towards the God who's able to do this for us. And so what I'd like to invite you to do, starting off this year, the very first day of 2023, I just want to invite you quietly to yourself while the music plays, just to pray this back to the Lord, to pray Jude 24 and 25 back to the Lord, reminding yourself of that confidence that you can have in him, that his confidence in his power to keep you. And then let that, let this passage, this truth, fuel your pursuit of being conformed to the image of Christ. So while the piano plays, go and just take a few moments. You can pray through this passage and just remind yourself of this truth of what God is able to do for you.